What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to jump into it? Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everybody's enjoying this wonderful fall, even though we need some rain. We, we got, got rain, rain last night. Got a little bit. Well, the Elkhorn went up to a whopping 47 CFS. 47. <laughs> <laughs> or South Elkhorn, yeah. Get the kite. Yeah, so. no, look out. I was hoping we'd get enough. To, I might get one last <laughs> no. float in on Saturday, but it's starting to look pretty. Sorry, Boggs, if you're listening. <laughs> And that third voice is John Hast. John, uh, tell us what you do. Man, I'm the uh, the Baron Elk Program Coordinator. And you've been on several times before. I think so, yeah. I went back and uh, – you think so? It's forgettable. <laughs> no, I went back and looked. Last time you were on was about this time last year. Yeah. And we were talking at that point in time, you were also overseeing deer. So we talked uh, mostly deer um, with, uh, you know, CWD and things like that last year. But we briefly touched on bear. I think this year we're going to be a little bit more bear heavy. Yeah. Uh, this time, because you just, you've been down in Eastern Kentucky doing quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's recently been some bear egg changes yep. that we can talk about. And I also just spent several days bear hunting. So obviously bears on my mind right now. Um, so I'd like to talk about that. I've got a bunch of questions written down here about bears, but just in general, I think they're a really interesting animal and kind of the story of how they came back. And this might be something we've covered on the podcast before, but, you it know. It never hurt to say again. Well, our first bear season in Kentucky was 2010, right? 2009. 2009 was the first yep. one. First, I was there and no one got a bear. Yeah, first season we <laughs> killed one was 2010. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Because yep. I've heard, everybody keeps telling me, or I've heard before, in 2010, I think three were taken. I think so. So yep. I've always heard in 2010 is when we got the first bears, and it was three. So that's when I thought it started. I went through my license history the other day, and my first bear permit was 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of early on, I've still not gotten a bear. I've been bear hunting most years, but, you know, I'm feel, I feel like I'm getting closer. Yeah, Cl- closer absolutely. Closer every trip. Yeah. I, I mean, I give myself, like, I don't think it's unreasonable to think I'll get one when I go now. And, you know, like looking at this gun season, depending on the weather, I think I'm fairly, I got a fairly good chance. You know, fairly good might be 10%, but that's just kind of how it goes. Mm -hmm. So a couple of my questions are just going to be things that I have, you know, as a hunter, questions I just have as we're going from archery season, which was this past weekend, to gun season in December. I don't hunt with dogs. I don't have my little beagle probably wouldn't be too good for that. You might track a bear. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But just in general, tell me how we got back black bears back and what's going on with them. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, getting bears back into Kentucky, there it's one of those things that a lot of the big game that we've got. Mm-hmm. You know, when my granddad was growing up, squirrels were big game. Mm-hmm. Rabbits were big game. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Because there was no deer, no elk, no yeah. bears. Yeah, and bears some kind of, sometimes get boxed into, hey, we brought them back. Yeah. We didn't really bring them back specifically to Kentucky, but people assisted. Yeah. Just in other states. People assisted so, in, uh, in, kind in, of under the radar, right? Under the radar a little bit. So, you know, it was one of those things when I started as a tech in 06, we were very much uh, like still coddling this small population of bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of Kentucky started research in 2001, uh, caught a handful of females that summer and started doing den work in Hensley Pine Mountain WMA. And that's still a core area of female denning. Hensley Pine uh, Mountain, that's Middlesbrough area? Uh, it's up towards Cumberland. Okay, because I'm thinking Hensley is in Hensley, Hensley Settlement, Settlement. Pine Mountain, yep. as far as Chained Rock, Pine Mountain, that range. Where's Hensley Settlement in relation to the WMA? Uh, it's close, southeast it? of it. Okay. Uh, not, probably about an hour. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, about road. 
Hensley. It's not Iron and a half. Well, that's right. That's named for Doug. Yeah, yeah. Doug Hensley. That's mm-hmm. the name for the former commissioner. Um, and so you know, it, it's interesting. I guess in my career that we started, literally, we knew, you know, where the females were having cubs. We would have scattered bear reports everywhere, mm-hmm. but the epicenter was. Uh, you know, Cumberland, Kentucky, and then mm-hmm. Cumberland Gap down by Middlesboro. Yeah. And so the, the interesting history, I mean, Virginia just had a biologist that would that worked, uh, you know, the Shenandoah area and worked the Great Dismal Swamp, so Norfolk, that area. Well, he would get a bad bear, pack it up in the truck, you know, catch it, put it in the truck, drive down 81, go to Mount Rogers or the Jefferson National Forest in southwest Virginia and cut it loose. And he had a little notepad in his truck, scribbled it down. We didn't even know that existed in 06. We didn't know it existed till like 2011. And when you say a bad bear, <laughs> you're talking about a dumpster bear. A, a right? dumpster bear, a nuisance bear. Uh, and so, you know, somebody in Virginia finds this notebook and, and uh, a buddy of mine that was in grad school with me that he was doing his PhD on bears gets it. And he's like, they've moved almost 700 bears. Just to southwest them. virginia yeah <laughs> and so you know so, from from in the early days i was like how is this population just growing. exploded like this well it was getting it was getting some help uh, <laughs> so what, where were these the 700 bears come from like oh uh, shenandoah the shenandoah okay. valley i mean that kind of whole was uh, that the weren't there a lot of apple orchards weren't they were they had apple orchards you had vineyards you, had a, they, you had a good amount of ag they were uh, they were hurting the apple orchards correct mm-hmm. Yep, and Great Dismal Swamp, you're kind of sandwiched between Richmond and Norfolk mm-hmm. down in that area, and there's a lot of urban uh, situations that they could get in. But he just truck them, truck them down the highway and turn them loose. And that wasn't anything, you know, that started in probably the, the early 80s and went up through the early 2000s. That wasn't uncommon. You so you did, think more than just him were doing it? We had a couple of guys. Yeah, same thing. I guarantee you the same thing was happening in West Virginia. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like, 06 was kind of a, a critical time where everything, you know, bears were something interesting, but was it ever going to be anything? And then I started working as a nuisance technician in 2006, 2007, and was, you know, every year the reports would go up by 300%. And, you know, we're like, all right, they're here. On the flip side of the coin was McCreary County, which is a great bear story. They were brought from the Smokies and put in the Tennessee side of, of mm. Big South Fork National River and Recreation Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just completed a, a huge research project on that area down there using the hair snares that we've, we've talked about. And it's basically exhibited about a 20% growth rate yeah. since they were dumped off, which is one of the highest growth rates of any bear population that's ever been recorded mm-hmm. in the world, essentially. Uh, so, you know, we know <laughs> over time, they dumped their, those bears off. A few of them lost their radio collars. A few of them got hit on the road. But what happened to them, and some of my master's work, we went in there in 09, and we were one of the first, uh, you know, fish and wildlife in UK were some of the first people to go back and look at what that population has done and is doing. Very healthy. Um, completing the research that we completed in 2019, again, that 20% growth rate. Uh, that parlays back into the liberalization of our regs that we've just had, which we can get to in a little bit. Yeah. But um, we've got a great bear population that's essentially come back on its own with mm-hmm. a little help from from, from their friends outside the state. <laughs> but it's not like um, restoration style help. It's not like elk or deer, or turkey, yeah, where we were going. Yeah. And, 
purposefully capturing and re- letting them go in places we thought they'd they'd thrive, but it, it happened that same way, but on accident without really coordination. Yeah, and I think I think you can ask any bear biologist in the southeast. We sort of learned with you know the mindset coming through the seventies and eighties. So back in back in the day, all bears were killed out of Kentucky. They were essentially killed out of areas that people could get to. So you had these refugia. That's the technical term. Uh, and it's all places we know. Great Smoky Mountains National Park. It's too rough to kill all the bears out. The Great Dismal Swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alleghenies in West Virginia. Uh, mm-hmm. Shenandoah Mountain Range, Blue Ridge area in Virginia. Just couldn't simply, couldn't get all the bears. Yeah. So they were boxed into these areas, and they've since started to come out. Mm-hmm. And that's with regulation that's allowed them to come out? It has. Regulation, uh, you know, we're not trying to grow corn on the side of Pine Mountain anymore. We've got timber, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it, it's one of those things, but I think coming through the 70s and 80s and, and even into the 90s as bear biologists, of course I was still in elementary school, but it was taught as this very slow wave. Mm, yes. They, just super slow. They would just move slowly. Uh, what we're seeing now, and I, what, going back to, I think you can ask any bear biologist in the southeast, bears are more resilient than we ever thought they were, and they can reproduce faster mm-hmm. than we thought they could. Um, we yep. use some of our data. There's, uh, I, did, I did population genetics for my master's, but I just kind of brushed the surface of it. Mm-hmm. I can talk the basics. There's other people that we've collaborated with that drill into – crazy stuff but what we what we actually figured out was we're having these long distance female dispersals so if you think like a like a grass fire or wildfire in a field if it's just burning as a front it's just kind of moving slow but if you get these little spots out in front of it Mm -hmm. then they're growing at the same time this is moving and Mm -hmm. it just fills in that's essentially what that long distance female dispersal is doing so through gps collars and genetics um we we paired up with a with a researcher out of Missouri that was looking at the same situation happening like Arkansas, uh, Missouri, mm-hmm. and Oklahoma. Their yep. populations bump. So either way, we've got a good you know where we stand now. We've got this phenomenal game animal that is back, uh, and we're really able to you know add to the hunter opportunity. At the same time, hunting is the only way to manage bears essentially they've got no natural predators other than a car bumper yeah yeah Um, that's not supernatural either no it's not i mean i'm just (laughs) unfortunate (laughs) the unfortunate part so and i will freely admit and i've got i think as a bear biologist you've got to be conservative Mm -hmm. and we're still being conservative Mm -hmm. um it's no different than than managing elk or managing whitetails 20 years ago as that population's growing, you're trying to feel out how many people are going to be interested in going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're feeling out really how how good, <clears throat> how effective the hunters are mm-hmm. is the better word. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, early on we knew we wanted bear tags over the counter. The success rate uh, finally hit 10% last year, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But it's still 10% of those people that buy a tag and go are going to get one. So you can... You can open it up wide knowing that that's, that's going to be your harvest rate. Um, but it's still, you know, we've turned the screws on them here for the last 10 years, you know, with regs changing. But that's kind of part of the growing pains of keeping up with the population but not just flat opening it up. Because with bears, if you opened it up and 
knocked them back, it's going to take a while to get back to where we want to be. Yeah, because of the so. reproduction isn't – you said it's quicker than we thought it was, but it's still not like they're – you know, right. rabbits, rabbits yeah. Yeah, or yeah, squirrels yeah. or something. Minuscule. You know, literally half of a white-tailed deer. If yeah, because it's every it. two years. It's right? every two years. Yeah. So just to restate what you just said, kind of how I took it. So essentially the bear population came back. It was a slow, natural burn, right? Mm-hmm. But then we had these biologists who were kind of helping out without really us knowing about it, who were kind of pouring a little gas on the fire here and there, yep. right? And then you're talking about these long-distance females. So that's just a female bear that for whatever reason will pack up and head 20, 30, 40, 50 miles exactly. and set up shop there and reproduce in that area. And that's kind of like starting a new fire in a new spot. And that mm-hmm. happened over and over. So that ha- that raises a bunch of questions. Uh, I'm kind of curious what the average range of a bear is, a female or a male. Yeah. What's the well, so, so males, I mean, just on our GPS collar work, you're easily talking 100 square miles. For their average range? That's nothing. Wow. I mean, that's 10 by 10. That's That's nothing. Yeah. Uh, and that will vary monthly, depends on what they're doing. We see a big, I guess, influx and outflux, whatever the word for that is, during mating season. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of our males come back to Pine Mountain. That's when we like to trap for our research is down along that Pine Mountain spine. What, what time of year is this? Uh, usually June, July, August. Summer. Yeah, so they're coming back for the rut. But then those males are the ones going clean out into the rest of – east kentucky yeah uh and those are a lot i mean those are the ones those are the bears that are getting harvested in the zone two counties mm-hmm. and that's great you know it don't take that many but males to what keep new, new territory is colonized by young bachelor males first, young, young bachelor males so what drives the female dispersion uh we don't know we don't really know what that drive what drives that other than are they them, going to I, instinctually know to go to where those younger males are they're not they're not necessarily seeking out a male i think it's more habitat based they have bears have a have a knowledge of somehow some magical animal way of knowing how saturated their area is and we use that metric so the den work that we do that we've had on kentucky field a couple times Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of complex stuff going on in that den work we're counting cubs and then we're figuring out the sex ratio of that litter so if they've got uh, one male, one female cub, that's 50% mm-hmm. sex ratio. What we can tell with that, and again, magic of bears, when they sense that the space around them is occupied by bears, they start having more males. So the cub sex ratio skews to male. And what that does in the end is makes more bears that are going to leave that area. Um, so a, a female that has her cubs, her her female offspring will inherit part of her little home range and add a little bit to it that is the slow when you think of that in your mindset it's like it's like building a jigsaw puzzle Mm -hmm. they're taking a little bit of mom's range adding a little bit to it so very Mm. slow but when they're making males they're kicking those males out that's what that's what walks through lexington and yeah that's that's the ones yeah Yeah. so they can adjust they don't adjust it but naturally the ratio of males to females and their and their offspring self-adjust to kind of uh, accommodate whatever the landscape needs yep. based on more bears so, or less bears around here. We need less bears in this area. Yep. Let's do male bears. The, the carrying capacity, yeah. whatever, however they sense that. I mean, that's a great mystery of That's kind of, of similar to physiology. coyotes. Coyotes do the same thing, right? Right. right. Yeah, coyotes, that's one that I think is more documented, more talked about is how, because mm-hmm. there's been some books published on how coyotes and their reproduction changes based on population densities and stuff like that. That Absolutely. one's fairly well talked about. 
Absolutely. Several animals do that. They can sense yep. when, when I need to really crank it and when I need to, what, you know. I just wonder what, you know, you'd think for a bear because, I mean, they have the best sense of smell in the state, right? Yep. Nothing touches a bear's nose. And that's in general. I think in the whole animal kingdom, your polar bear has the best sense of smell of any animal there is, right? Yeah, and smell seal in the water. And they can sell, smell, and I've heard they can sell, uh, smell a mate uh, 100 miles away. Yeah. Up to 100, if the wind's right, you know, they can just be walking across the ice and catch a mm. whiff of something. And I have walk. a date. <laughs> well, you know, they have some of those polar bears that radio collar too, and they can see that, you know, just be moseying around and all of a sudden cut a straight beeline to a female 100 miles away, just know she's there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm guessing that they kind of sense that population density in their area using their nose. Yep. If they're yeah, walking, get, yeah, that makes sense. If they're walking around and they're constantly smelling another bear, constantly smelling another bear, then that tells them something different. Then if a young male gets to an area and he's like, it smells fresh here, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. he might know to set up shop. And also when you talk about um, – Habitat, you're talking about food, water, shelter, everything like that. Yep. So, I mean, I guess that's probably a driver, too. If they get to an area and food's abundant and they don't really smell other bears, that's probably a good spot to set up shop, right? Can yep. you really smell a tablespoon of peanut butter a mile away? I, Have you, you ever heard that? You know, we, we use it, <laughs> uh, you know, when we're running our trap lines for research. My, my favorite way to get one going is to smear some peanut butter as high as I can reach on a tree. Yeah, and you can just—I mean, us as humans with our tiny noses can smell an open jar of peanut butter. So yeah. they got to be getting something. Tiny nose—that's true. I mean, yeah. do you know how many? Like, I think this is off, off the top of my head. I think a human has somewhere around five million scent receptors in their nose, and I've heard that a white-tailed deer has two hundred and seventy million or something like that. Do you have any idea what a bear would be? Upper. I, I mean, it's more I than don't. that. Yeah, because compared to a bear's nose, a white tail is kind of like you know minuscule, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're good enough. So. Yeah. <laughs> how important is that to a bear? Say say you're a bear hunter. I mean, how much should you worry about a bear's nose? It's one of those things and just dealing, being in close proximity with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things. I th- there's, there's very little places you can go in East Kentucky and probably be a bear and not smell people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of liken it the same way I do as an elk. Like, you, you can't, you can give them like uh, one of three things. They can either smell you, they can see you, or hear you. Yeah. They might tolerate one of them. But if they get two... They're, they're out. gone yeah um it's kind of the way i've i've you know seen them over the years so that this past weekend i showed john a video on my phone i took i, I saw a bear while i was out archery hunting and uh it got downwind to me the honest story is i was <clears throat> walking 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 my feet were sore man i'd covered so much ground and i just needed a place to sit down for an hour i plopped down and lo and behold that's when i finally see a bear but it, it was downwind of me when i saw it and it shot up a tree Mm-hmm. right so is that it trying to get number two it smelled me so it was like i'm gonna re i'm gonna confirm this with my eyes yeah probably so and a lot of times i mean those people uh a lot of times we we'll talk to turkey hunters yeah. in the spring it's like this bear stood up it walked in on me and stood up what's standing up to just get its nose uh, five high. feet taller than it than it was not yeah. necessarily it's not necessarily an well, aggressive it's not coming move, at you it's but trying it's to smell. standing up and looking you know seeing better looking uh you know smelling better so yeah, I, I'd say it probably went up that tree, and that's an that's a I mean uh, a, a instinctual escape for a black bear is to climb. So should I? Because I thought in my mind, because that was a shooter bear, right? I showed you that video. That that mm-hmm. one right there was a bear that good enough to shoot. Should I have made a move on that bear when it went up the tree? You could have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, he might have might have hung out there for the rest of the day. But, yeah. Yeah. You know. Hindsight's. And uh, when you say go up a tree in East Kentucky, man, they can get to the to the top branch you can't even tell they're up there yeah it was funny the tree that this bear shot up was a 
oh, it was it was like a tulip poplar, right? So mm-hmm. you know, a big straight tree that didn't branch off until it was probably forty foot up. Yeah. And when it branched off, it had a bunch of branches that came out together. It was almost like a cradle up mm-hmm. there in the tree. And that bear went up there, and he jumped up in that cradle, and he could almost just sit up there without having to hold on. You know, mm-hmm. he had like something to support him. So I didn't know how long he's going to hang out. He he stayed up there. I watched him for two or three minutes, and he came back down and yeah. moseyed on off out of sight. So I'm after he moseyed off out of sight. I was sitting there wondering to myself, should I have done something different there? But hindsight's fifty fifty, right? Mm-hmm. You never know. Well, and even if you'd have stalked in on that man, they'll come down a tree. Fight. They will yeah, run yeah. down a tree. Yeah, they can uh, come down quick. And be gone. They won't even climb it like we would shimmy down one. They'll come down it straight and be be yeah. gone. So just, I would love to see that though. Yeah. I mean, that'd be cool to see. I never, you know, just seeing a black bear is something that most people, I mean, you got to think about where the population is in Kentucky. I mean, Lexington's the only, well, I guess you got a couple of places in southeast Kentucky that have, you know, decent amounts of people, but the vast majority of people in the state of Kentucky don't live in the bear range, right? Yeah. So yeah. they never have seen one. So for mm-hmm. me, you know, living in Louisville now, growing up in Shelby County, living in Frankfurt, and, I mean, it's cool just to go lay eyes on one. Yeah. But the frustrating thing is you go out there and you hike around the mountains all day and you cover ground, cover ground, then you go to Pizza Hut in Pineville to get a bite to eat, and they're like, oh, there's one this morning just right <laughs> yeah, here. The, the locals, dogs. you know, sure. think it's everyday occurrence to them. Sure. You know? So, well, that's uh, <laughs> that's cool. So where, as far as the reg changes, you just kind of yeah. touched on that a second ago. Mm-hmm. And people have asked me about that. And, you know, I don't really know what to tell them, but I've kind of given them my guess and I always tell them, you know, my guess is, because I don't want to speak for you, but that over the past would be 13 years now of having bear seasons, right, that we've gotten the data. And we kind of know, you know, because before the regs were set to where there were quotas, and that's kind of what's done away with, right? Yep. yep. It used to be where every night after we went bear hunting, we called at 9 o'clock, and we heard John's voice tell us whether or not bear season was open the next day based on how many females or total bears had been harvested Mm -hmm. so we were strictly controlling how many bears could be taken the maximum number is going to be you know plus or minus because we might kill over that number on the day when the season's open but it's going to be around this number each year and i'm guessing that over all these you know past 10 or 12 years of getting that data in you now have a pretty clear picture for this is how it's going to be now we have reliable data now we can set season dates and we know about what the harvest is going to be each year yeah and really really the last four um it's it's twofold so understanding how many bears we've got that research we did in mccreary county really showed us how many we've got down there and we can kind of quit coddling that population down there and open it up a little bit but secondly it gets back to that you know hunter effort hunter effectiveness um that whole thing and so what we were able to do over the last four years with the quota is kind of figure out how long those counties stayed open. Um, and with with our model numbers and that kind of stuff, we were essentially, we, we had some room in like Harlan Electric County um, to leave it open. Um, and so looking at, at how effective our hunters are and how many days, you know, you can essentially predict if we leave this open like we did this year, if we leave Harlan County open for three days, here's the harvest. Um, and really matching that up, whether we made it three days or we made it five days, matching it up with what the model says we can take from the population. Yeah. So you're just saying, okay, let's just say for sake of conversation that we need, you know, it's okay for Harlan County to harvest, I'm just going to say 15 bears, right? Mm-hmm. Or that's just a made up number. That's close. But let's yeah. just say that's what we say <laughs> it is, right? 
And so your data over the past several years has said that it takes how many days are we going with three or four? Yeah, we're three down there. So say we're going with three days of bear season right now. You're mm-hmm. telling me that on average Arlen County's getting five bears a day during season. So three days for hunting yep. is and it's in the reg change, we really haven't touched on what it is yet. Mm-hmm. But instead of those quotas, now there are set seasons, yep. right? Yep. So you can plan your trip. Instead of having to call every night at nine o'clock and say can I bear hunt tomorrow or do I need to go to the next county over? Mm-hmm. You can now just plan your trip. You can say, I have the set number of days I can go bear hunting and I don't have to worry about that. So you can plan exactly. much more, you know, it's just more hunter friendly. You yeah, know, really. absolutely. And that's, that's probably the biggest complaint we've got, especially our hunters that had to try. Is that what drove this? Uh, no, it was some, so I am a real big proponent for simple regs yeah and i and and part of that comes from i look at the colorado guidebook when i put in for for uh elk tags every year and i have to sit down i have to clear my schedule yeah go into my little office room at the house have my computer up open their reg digest and i'm punching in like 12 digit codes to apply for a tag you know it's necessary out there but if we can do it here to where anybody can pick up the hunting guide flip the page all right i'm bear hunting for three days harlan county there you go that's what mm-hmm. I, that's what i'm after so i mean that had always been a complaint but we're to the point now with the bear population where i would rather just go to those three days and in some of our counties out there i want to keep them at zero growth harlan and Letcher county and bell yeah. county We've got the number of bears we need. There's going to be plenty of people that say they've got too many. There's going to be the 90% of hunters that don't kill that say we don't have enough, but we're striking that middle ground. Uh, And we can actually get that three-day season in. Mm -hmm. So we've simplified it. um, And in the long run, I think that's great. Uh, And I really think, I mean, our bear regs were by far the most complicated in the book. mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Big picture, I mean, reg simplification is something that the department's been focusing on all around. I mean, you can look at a lot of our fishing regs and see that they've been simplified now as far as like our uh, walleye, sauger, sawguy, and then our hybrids and white bass and you know like the species that are and the protective sot limit some lakes yeah. are 12 to 16 somewhere yep. they're gonna i think standardize all those to where yeah. this is the sot limit yeah, yeah. No, we're not, nobody's trying to trick anybody no. you know no so. and the hunting guide doesn't need to be 100 pages yeah. i agree you know, you i remember when it, the deer hunting guide you could fold it up and put it in your back <laughs> yeah. pocket yeah for so the fall hunting guide reg simplifications across the board not just on bears but i'm glad it's Set yep. on bears too. I mean, because it's going to make things easier on me as somebody who goes down there. And now, when I call Pine Mountain State Resort and book a room, I can say, "Well, I need it for three nights." Right. You right. know, instead mm-hmm. of having to say, "Well, you know, what do I really need to do here?" And yep. You have to check and see if there's a conference in town, and if mm-hmm. I'm going to lose my room, do I need to book it and then cancel? <laughs> or, you know, I can just no book doubt. it. So yep. that, that's nice and simple on me. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple of just random questions that popped in my mind here right and some of these you might have already answered and lee you might have some stuff too yeah i do um so one thing i had was the average range and are they predictable or patternable um like basically i'm saying if i see one right if i see a bear last year i went down and i scouted for gun season i went down one week early and i saw a bear what are the chances that that bear a week later was still in that area i think it's probably a roll of the dice yeah <laughs> So you know, if I, that bear I saw this past weekend, is there any reliability that if I go back to that? Now, the same area could have a bear because it was an oak flat up on top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And, but, it, I mean, that same bear could be, what, 20, 30 miles away? I mean, could, could be. Absolutely. How far can they move in one day? It's, I mean, we've had the ones that have come through central Kentucky have done a county in a day. 
Wow. There's, yeah. there's a map. You still on look the, at them, you just don't can, see they can they move can that cruise. quick. Yeah. On the department's website, on the Black Bear page, there is a, a telemetry. There's yeah. a GPS collared bear that they show you the, the movement of, and it's a bear from 2008, 2009, so you're not giving away any current info. Yeah, that's but, the first bear that ever wore a GPS collar in Kentucky. She wore it in uh, Tennessee and Virginia, too, yes. because her track takes you. I mean, it's like you can see the core range, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was Cumberland Mountain that she was on there. Yep. <laughs> and um, I'm going to try to turn my screen so you guys can see this. I know the listeners can't. But it looked like she spent a lot of time on oh Oops. see my screen i need to get that's all right i've got it blazing into my memory yeah i'm sure you know what this looks like <laughs> but essentially I just did you create to, that map yeah. well I, ca- I caught the bear that created that map okay so there yeah. it is <clears throat> so you can see on it looks like cumberland mountain to me probably mm-hmm. she spent like wow. these dots are all close together lots and lots of dots and those are just when she's pinging right yep which is every what a couple of minutes it would have been no i probably that would probably i think we had that on like 12 hours so it's about two dots a day two dots a day yeah. so you can see she spent all this time up in here kind of ventured out a little bit mm-hmm. but then this random huge loop that goes down I mean, through, it's monster loop yeah it mm-hmm. goes down through virginia goes down through tennessee i'm It'd looking take at this, you that's 12 miles so two I'm, days to drive that wasn't it no i'm gonna gonna say that's 120 plus mile loop yeah down uh rogersville virginia yeah so i mean we influence that a little bit but i use this map in almost every presentation i give to groups talking about bear nuisance so we caught that bear from uh it's on pine mountain here yeah Mm -hmm. we caught it from page elementary school which is just off 119 outside Mm -hmm. of pineville okay i know where that is yeah took it up cut it loose in hensley wma up at cumberland and so and i want to go back she <laughs> promptly walked back to where she was at got it where she was at would have been somewhere right in this area somewhere right over there so once we knew she was back we put a technician on her and hazed the fire out of her she made a loop mm. you know she disappeared we're knowing where she's at we're watching it every day but then she went back there again I use it to say that, you know, when somebody says, come catch this bear, get rid of it, mm. it's not an option. I mean, we moved her yeah, 50 I wish, miles. I wish, mm-hmm. I wish the you listeners know. could see this map, but essentially you caught her at point A, took her to point B, which is, I mean, 60 miles probably yep. away, dropped her off. She goes whoop, right back. Mm-hmm. And then you're telling me you hazed the fire of her, out of her. She did a 120-mile loop that went down into Tennessee and up through Virginia came back on the opposite side of the mountain range and walked straight back. Yep, and made trouble. Uh, Harlan's right there in the middle. Made trouble in Harlan. Nice. So she she probably wondered why, why the— What'd she do? Uh, she was just in town all the time. Probably wondered why we popped out. We, You know, I think eventually they had to wonder, how are they finding me? But she had a, yeah. she had a real she time was GPS collar. First one with the collar? First one, <laughs> yep. <laughs> what happened to her? She dropped that collar. She could still be. She could still be out there. Doing things for all Eating we know. Eating pizza. Yeah. <laughs> What's the average life expectancy of a bear? So, you know, males, you're talking 10 or 12 usually out there in the in the, in the real world. Uh, they do stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cross roads a lot. They fight more. And that uh, that's a big part. You know, when people talk about the level of harvest we've got, I've got, so I've got to also uh, take into account the level of roadkill. Uh, we have bears that climb electrical poles and get electrocuted. We have them get stuck in mining equipment i mean they find weird weird ways to to die we got to factor that in we think an annual mortality rate and it's usually and this is what shocks a bunch of people it's about 50 percent hunter harvest and 50 percent other 
Hmm. You know, roadkill, electrocution, that kind of thing. Now, when you say that, or is that all – hunter harvest you get because you get every telecheck, you get to yep. check each bear. Are you um, – like the telephone pole bears, and I guess the roadkill ones aren't too bad. But do we have radio collared males that we do uh, um, mortality studies on? Yeah. If one dies out there in the woods, do we go check on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've what? got, and we had a huge study uh, a couple years ago. We've got less collars on males than we ever have before because we've got this, we got the data that we need. Um, so you're talking, I mean, you're talking 70% survival rate, you know, 30% annual mortality rate. Really? On, <laughs> you on know, males? all together. Yeah. yeah. So they find ways to they find ways to. Uh, what are the ways that? Uh, well, I mean, like, so my question basically it was, um, you know, what's the life expectancy of one, and then also in the wild, you know, not an auto collision, not a electrical pole, not a hunter. What would kill a bear? I mean, is it old age, teeth going away, starvation? I'm, Absolutely, teeth. That's where most of our females start going downhill. Uh, males fight. It oftentimes fight to the death. So when they get older and a little bit weaker, boom. Could, yeah, absolutely. Or a bad, you know, a lot of injury, you know, an injury to the jaw where they're fighting. A lot of the older bears you see will be scarred up on their head. Mm -hmm. uh, we had we had one of the biggest bears that I've ever worked with. Bottomed out a 500-pound scale, didn't have a lower jaw. Mm. Uh, you know, and he ha had just set up shop in town. Oh. Uh, he had, he unfortunately had to to go so he's a dumpster bear he was he a dumpster have bear didn't have a lower jaw tongue hung out it was a sad situation but from fighting so we don't see anything likely could have been a car bumper um could have been you know any number of things um females you're talking 90 95 percent survival rate okay very so much safer for a female much safer for a female yep that's uh hmm. and how does uh survival rate change like in the turkey program right it's actually, it's counterintuitive. It's better to take jakes um, for your turkey population than it is gobblers because jakes only have a 50% chance of making it to be a tom anyway, mm -hmm. right? So if you take a tom, and then once they hit that two-year mark when they're a tom, they have like a 75% chance of making it the next year and the yep. next year. So essentially, you know, because the survival rate goes up when they hit that maturity level, you know, they're much better off. So, like, in the black bear terms, does the survival rate go up as they hit that two-and-a-half or three-and-a-half-year-old mark? It does, for sure. So, what as far as the cubs, like, in you watch Nat Geo or you watch some documentary, you see male bears, so they're going to, uh, you know, attack and kill a young of another mm -hmm. bear to, you know, open up that female for breeding or to keep their genetics, you know, the dominant yep. genetics. Does that happen with black bears? Absolutely. So that's, Absolutely. A, that's a mortality yep. on the... The big thing mom's doing when she's got cubs at heel is, is keeping them keeping them safe. They okay. run up a tree, you know, go to the very top branches. Yeah. Uh, we model, like in my model, I've got an 80% cub survival rate. Mm -hmm. And we've done some of that research in Kentucky, but then also that is the, you know, Southern Appalachian Black Bear Project that went on uh, about 10 years ago. That's the number they got it from pennsylvania down to georgia so 80%. it's a good we're, we're in the right we're in the ballpark with our numbers i would guess that 80 percent when mom's looking after them does that number drop off when they get out on their own at one and a half it does uh a lot of our a lot of our hunter harvest and this probably be one of your other questions uh we're taking so aged harvest is an important thing in in bear modeling mm -hmm. uh and we're actually skewed towards younger bears mm -hmm. so again you get into that you know your idea with the jakes there we call that compensatory mortality uh, it's a big thing with quail. Certain certain mm -hmm. number of quail are going to die every winter, mm -hmm. so why not have a hunter harvest them in November because mm -hmm. they're 
got a ninety percent chance of dying over the winter. Yeah. Uh, same thing when you're when you're skewing towards younger younger, uh, especially male bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I'm going to skip down because that was one of my questions. I wanted to know what all is required at the check station because basically where I'm planning on hunting, I'm not going to be able to haul uh, this whole bear out, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you would probably prefer to because every single bear gets checked by Correct. you or another tech, right? Yep. yep. So one of my questions was what is required at that check station? Because when I show up, I want to have what I need if I need to show up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, because I'm going to need a quarter – and pack the bear out i wanted to make sure if a certain thing was needed like an elk last year they were doing liver samples right mm-hmm. so i don't know what's needed for a bear so run me through what you actually take at a check station for my hunt. yeah so we'll take we'll obviously take a whole bear or field dress bear do what you got to do to get it out of the woods we have uh, you know have samples off almost a thousand bears at this point that we put our hands on so we're not going to miss if you've got a if you've got to uh quarter your bear to get out of the woods and i don't get a chest girth i'm not sad at all so legally you've got to bring the skull the hide and the hide has to have proof of sex attached to it Uh, so leave genitalia attached to it that can be the teats for a female any of the male reproductive parts easy to leave on the hide Mm -hmm. got to bring the skull because we're going to pull a tooth out of it for aging purposes other than that you're legal so what does that data tell you? What do you what do you see from that data? Yeah. So back to the back to that previous comment on knowing that we're we're actually harvesting harder on the younger bears is getting that tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is our age at harvest. It's hard to every hunter we that comes to a check station. How old is it? Well, we're pulling a tooth. We're gonna yeah. have the professionals tell us how old it is. Because you actually cut that tooth in half, right? Yeah. Is that how that's yeah. done? It grows rings like a tree. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times, even with female bears, you can tell how many litters they've had based on the growth of that tooth it's it's a little bit smaller on the years that they're putting energy into into making cubs okay um so good data for us we are honestly just now harvesting enough bears to kind of start to really use that in the model Mm -hmm. back when we were killing 20 30 bears it it wasn't hardly enough of a sample Mm -hmm. of them to do it we're there now uh, and we throw the same thing with road kills. We look at we look at the ages on those. I mean, there that's not a harvest, but that is them being removed from the population. At what age did that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, really makes a difference. So, and then you know the weight requirement. So, bringing a whole bear, it's got to be seventy five pounds. So, if you think you got a small one, leave her leave her on field dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly, uh, you know, it's one of those things we used to do bear you know the bear records by weight we've kind of gotten away from that uh just due to the unfield dress field dress nature of the of the situation so boone and crockett if you kill a nice bear get it scored by boone and crockett score and that uses the skull also yeah yep. Right. yeah length of the skull <clears throat> so so you know on the tooth what do, what are you seeing as far as average age <clears throat> and what are you seeing as far as uh, average weight things like that yeah, average weight was right about 110 pounds. So that's smaller than most people would. Yeah, think. smaller than what they would think. You know, those are all legal bears. Those are going to be your one and two year olds. Is okay, about I was where our, say those. So those are yeah. the ones that, on average, get harvested, probably because they're like the same reason they show up in Spencer County or or swim across the Ohio River into Indiana mm-hmm. or hang out. In fern creek for a year they're mm-hmm. the young male bears that are just moving 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 exactly they're so that's their why they're getting harvested yep okay. yep and i think a lot of it uh and, and maybe we'll see this change with the set season but with the quota if you had a legal bear in front of you you're probably going to take that legal bear yeah. yeah you know now that you got three days maybe people start yeah. looking for a little bit bigger so what's but one or two year old is the average yeah yep 
and 110 pounds. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. What's maximum weight of a big fat female? We well, so probably not, our, not counting the one that's laid out. <laughs> yeah, probably our our average uh, reproductively active female in Kentucky is probably only 150 pounds. Really? Yeah. Now they can get on if they get on some uh, some uh, anthropogenic food sources, as we call it, trash cans. Mm-hmm. We've caught them at we've caught them in the 400s. Yeah. Um, if they get on a real, and then my other thing for this is bears are like us all every all three of us in this room have a completely different body conformation yeah you know bears are exactly like that you've got the short you've got the short stout bears you've got the tall lanky bears hmm. um we've caught we've caught a handful of 500 pound males over the years on our research project 500 you said mm-hmm. what's the i know you've gone away from the record weight but what what would that be i think we're in the four we're in like maybe like 480 Big. If I if mm-hmm. I jog my memory, um, you know, I caught one down in McCreary County that was just a stinking bodybuilder. Um, I mean, just that way. it was long. He bottomed out a 500 pound scale. Wow. That's what we packed. One of those standard oh, yeah, of those. 500 pound deer scales. He's been out behind GNC and the supplements. I, th- <laughs> I mean, that, that dude was in the back country of Big South Fork. Huh. I don't think he'd seen other than the occasional hiker. Well, what would cause him to gain that just genetics or he was, he was an great older, food he was an older bear had great food probably had the run of the place um but you know caught him in a caught him in a cable snare and but he not just, domino's pizza like no i don't think he, he probably never seen a trash can lay on his back under an oak tree in the fall and keep yeah. his mouth open and just let the acorns fall in it yeah like. and there was no extra but he put his back against the tree and stood up we were you know he was snared we were going to walk in and put a dart in him put a radio collar on him he stood up against the tree and he had defined pec muscles. Wow. <laughs> you know, their their hair is real thin. It's it was ninety degrees and I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting there and I got a guy with me that it was his first day working with me. <laughs> I had a little forehead sweat. <laughs> you know. I was like, That is a bear. That is so that is And cool. he was great. He wore a GPS collar for us for two years down at Big South Fork and ran all over the place. Was that why he was so big? Because he was so mobile, you think? I think he was just in. He just had. I think part of it is genes. Yeah, I mean, just, he would have been the the D one linebacker of, say, yeah. of people. <laughs> that's you great know? Say it. He'd have been Alabama, yeah. Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah he so. did scholarship, defensive line scholarship right. to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> How big is a paw? Like an average paw when you see sign. God, I measure in centimeters. I'm trying to put this in American. Two point uh, five, just say yeah. two point five per inch is about yeah. about average, right? No, but that's like uh, two point five centimeters, centimeters per inch. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, Thirty centimeters and twelve inches, right? So four, four, five inches across okay. the across the width of the of the front pad. You gotta also think, yeah, bear. the paws are different. Bears have like feet in the back and then paws in the front, so hmm. they got two different tracks. So it kind of depends on which one you're talking about, too. Yeah. I think it was a front. Which one has the most? Front's spines? a rounded one. Front, okay, the, yeah, kind of oval shaped. Okay, toes in front of the back. The bear's back foot looks eerily like a human footprint hmm. yeah. i mean it looks like a human foot well, i saw on the i was on the 11 point national wild and scenic river and mark twain mm-hmm. deep into mark twain you could do a four mile float and never get and do the shuttle and never get on a paved road nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah but we saw what i thought was i was like that's bear tracks many mm-hmm. and uh because of you know about that wide and yep spikes I had this, my next question, I, I had a really hard time reading my own handwriting on the first word, but I think I figured it out. 
what's the diet of a bear living in the wild? So one that doesn't have those trash cans and things. What yep. do they prefer to eat, and how does that change through the year? Man, that's going to, yeah, absolutely varies through the year. So a lot of times when they come out of the den, and I'll say very few of our males actually den up for more than a week or two. We have a cold snap, they'll den. So they're they're eating all winter. They're hitting, they're hitting uh, busting logs open, getting termites, getting old, older acorns in the winter. Uh, when they come out of the den in the spring, they're looking for carbs. Uh, they're looking for fresh, fresh green grass, clover. Uh, so a lot of times, May, June, you will see them just grazing like a buffalo mm-hmm. uh, on grass and clover. Uh, as soon as the berries come ripe in the summer, I can pretty well tell. I've got blackberries on my pasture in Scott County. And I can pretty well tell how my summer is going to be based on the berry load that they've got. So you can look um, at your berries in Scott County and yeah. kind of get an idea for what Eastern Kentucky is looking like and yep. what those okay. how things are going to look. And you've got a whole you've got tons of berries. So obviously everybody knows blackberries, you know briar bushes. You've got uh, wild raspberry. You've got four different types of blueberry. You've got uh, service berry uh, and grapes. You know your wild grapes mm-hmm. up in the There's tree. A lot of berries. Um, so when those are good, and we've had the last two summers, they have been great, which has kept our nuisance problems down. Uh, so they're hitting that hard all summer long. They're hitting bugs. Uh, if you're walking, McCreary County is a good example because it had a lot of pine beetle killed mm-hmm. pine trees. You'll see them rolled around. You'll see the bark ripped off of them. You can tell bears been through there. Uh, they'll flip rocks, look for the little roly polies mm-hmm. on the bottom side of rocks, get worms mm-hmm. under there, uh, frogs and toads. Mm-hmm. If they come across one. Ooh. And then as you get into the fall, it's all. You know, they'll hit sassafras trees in August. We'll start seeing, you know, if you're down in Big South Fork, you'll see a sassafras, little sassafras pulled over in the road. And they've gotten the berries off it. Pawpaws? They'll they'll hit the pawpaws, the shagbark hickories. You'll be walking in the, you know, the August forest and see an entire hickory, green hickory branch laying on the ground. Well, that's bears ripped it out of the tree, dropped it. Uh, and then getting into, you know, the deer. The deer foods, uh, white oaks. oak, red oak. East Kentucky, we're blessed with a pretty good uh, scarlet oak, chestnut oak mm-hmm. uh, crop every year, uh, which they hit They hit hard. Deer, deer don't seem to pay them any mind. But, so they eat damn but, near anything. Yeah. That's what it sounds yeah. like. It, because, I, you know, I think about what food sources, and when I've looked at scat before, I didn't find any scat this last trip, but, you know, in the past it's been very heavy. Yeah, mm-hmm. very heavy in berries. And yep. when I when I used to you know hike around Pound Mountain, I would find those logs that you're talking about mm-hmm. ripped apart, and it was pretty obvious that a bear had stuck his claws in there and just ripped that outer layer of bark off, looking for probably grubs or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep, beetles and grubs. So it's going to be hard to narrow down a food source, but I'd say if you find a bunch of acorns on the ground, a bunch of white oaks or something, you can. Uh, that's where I so, saw that bear this past uh, weekend. Yeah, what's their scat look like in fall? It can be, and I tell you, we were down cutting some fire line for elk habitat work last week, and it was all autumn olive berry. There was acorn holes in there, but it was all about as red or purple as you could imagine. Uh, they're hitting poke berries and hitting those red autumn olive berries. So no matter what else they were eating, it was bright red. Hmm. Yeah, makes so, sense. Not um, big. A few of my other questions real quick. Double handful. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talked about how the males don't really dent up if they do just for a short amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So one of my questions is, what temperatures are they most active? Because I'm sure there's a high range, too, right, where they don't want to be moving around quite as much. Yeah. And then I was really more curious if there was a low end, if there was a temperature where you were like, okay, this temperature is where, you know, most of the bears are not going to be out and about. Yeah, so I'm trying to think back, and, and this is just from watching GPS collar data and 
looking outside at the weather over the years. I mean, we're talking, we had a kind of a cold, icy snap last year that was mm-hmm. like a week, week and a half long. Those males are probably going to find them a place and hang out. So your natal females, as we call them, so that's, that's, those are pregnant females. They're going to go in the den first, second week of December and stay until the end of March. They're, you know, they're going to birth their cubs in the den. They're going to nurse them. And those cubs will be ready to climb a tree and run from you by the time they come out. Wow. Um, with where we're at, I mean, so, so denning's an evolutionary response to a lack of food. That's how bears have, have figured that out. So, you know, you've got bears in Florida that den. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just ingrained into them. But it's still, there's less food in the winter. Um, so if we've got a good, we've got a pretty good acorn crop this fall in East Kentucky, those females might actually stay out a week or two longer to, to take advantage of that acorn crop and then go in. The males with a good acorn crop, they'll, they'll probably not den up. So I was thinking about it from a hunter's perspective. If I was, look, say we were coming up on gun season in mm-hmm. December, right, and I was looking at that 10-day forecast and I saw, well, it's going to be 60 degrees. It's the high of those days. That's great. Or if yep. I, what if yep. I saw – Ooh, it's going to be 25. I was wondering what that swing in temperature, you know, that you can get in December, how that would affect a hunt. Absolutely. I think the males at that time of year, I mean, they are making their last push to stack up mm-hmm. what they need. Uh, the last couple of years, the weather has really not made that much of a difference during gun season. And we've had, we've had the gamut. We haven't had any, you know, 10, 12 inches of snow. Uh, that would slow them down a little bit, but it really hadn't mattered if it's 60 or if it's 30. I wasn't a huge fan of the weather last year on the Saturday. Yeah. Um, if I don't know if you remember. It but, got cold, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the day after the tornado mm-hmm. came through western Kentucky on Friday. Oh, wow. Yep. And then on Saturday is when that same line came through and hit eastern Kentucky. It was that morning. And I was up there in the mountains, and it was about 10 or 11 o'clock. All of a sudden, that temperature just dropped, bottomed out. Yep. And it started raining real hard. And I... Some my confidence drop, but it was I specifically remember that temperature drop on the opening day last year. So I was wondering, you know, could that affect them or would it affect? Yeah, them? certainly on their movement. Thinking from a hunter perspective, I mean, bears. You know, we think, uh, you know, rain will put put deer, slow deer down a little bit, but we think a cold snap will get them out there feeding. They might get, you know, deer might get out in that green field and give you an opportunity. Bears are kind of like us. If it's pouring rain and cold, they're going to go lay under a hemlock mm-hmm. and chill out for two days so they're not really moving uh which makes them less available to the hunters yeah so i mean the ideal i think from a hunter perspective cross your fingers for you know morning in the 40 40s and a sunny 60 afternoon that'll be a good that'd Mm. be a that'd be the day i'd pick are there prime times of day like i'm thinking for deer we're looking at mornings and evenings right And we kind of assume that they're going to be chewing cud in the middle of the day just laying somewhere for a bear hunter, do you need to? Is there any reason to go back for lunch and and take off the middle of no, the day? No, I don't think so. Because yeah, they're going to be out there cruising. Yep. Or the, but they are more of a nocturnal animal, right? I think they're. A lot of times we see them more nocturnal in the summer when it's hot. I mean, they're okay. basically nocturnal when it's hot. In the okay. fall, they're gonna they're gonna run wide open. That makes sense. Um, mating season. You kind of mm-hmm. touched on earlier. That's July. You said. Yeah, it can. It's it's kind of a long drawn out. It's nothing like we think about the deer rub, but deer it's rub. it's like June, July, and August. It's like elk and deer. Most of the mating seasons that we pay attention to as hunters, turkey. Yep. It's because they're just doing something completely different, and it's all at once. It's yep. in a two or three week window. But bear is much more. And is that because they're more dispersed and there's less of them? They need more time to find a mate. I think so. And then you know, females are coming into heat at different times. You've got the you know the younger yearling females that probably come into heat later on in that summer that we've seen um 
you know, they become reproductively active and, you know, males just ready to go all summer, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Lee, I know you have questions too. I got one or two more. You're good. I was going to ask, can you walk me through the average day in the life of a bear? The average day. <laughs> Man, I think it, I don't, I you can't. You go to Jellystone National Park, <laughs> yeah, you get I a picnic basket, then you, then you take a I nap. I can't really because it, it definitely depends, again, it, I think it depends on that bear. So there's so much more different. It's um, like deer, you could walk me through the average day in the yeah. life of a deer. He's going to get up, he's probably about 4 or 5 a.m., he's going to go cruise around about sunset, he's going to start yeah. heading back towards his bed, he's going to bed in a similar spot each day, shoot cut all day, maybe get up for an hour midday, and then you know, repeat the cycle in the afternoon, but a yeah. bear is just random. Yeah, right? a bear is essentially, I mean, they've got a human stomach. We're talking deer, ruminants. There's some There's some things going on there where they've got to take a break, yeah. which is, you know, they, they're designed that way that they can run out and eat and then go hide somewhere and, and take advantage of what they've just eaten. Uh, and then you also got to think what bears are picking. It's not like they're, you know, outside of the, the Pizza Hut in Harlan. Mm-hmm. They are they are eating. It would be like it would be like us going to the berry patch and trying to eat lunch. Yeah, it's tough. in the berry patch. You know they're going so they they can't just run out and get full. Yeah, they're just picking a berry here, picking a snail here, picking a termite here, and the, especially the ones that I've observed later on in the fall are just wandering a hillside. I mean they're zigzagging and they're just eating the whole time. They yeah. might walk fifteen yards and then they're back to eating. Yeah. Um, so. I pretty well think that the day is uh, might sleep a little bit at night and then I'm going to get up and eat all day. And mm-hmm. what that looks like depends on where they're at and what the oaks are doing and, and uh, what's available. What do you got, Lee? I've asked too many already. Oh, you're fine. Um, I wrote down success rates. What Do we have any measure of, of success yeah. rate? Yeah, that, we've is got it a, high, low compared to other states? Yeah. We've got a great – well, it it depends, and I can't necessarily speak well to other states because everybody does such a different a different hunting arrangement or a different scheme for hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're about – you know, dogs have a higher success rate, but we've got – you know, we sell on average about 60, uh, you know, dog hunt permits a year, the chase permits. Are those more expensive? Or- uh, same price. Okay. Um, so that one's hard to measure a little bit. We have a we – have a, we have a uh, – uh, a small collection of of dog hunters here in Kentucky, with with gun and archery combined, we sell about a thousand bear permits. And last year, uh, the success was ten point eight percent. So, one hundred and eight bears. Hundred and yeah, I think it was like one hundred and nine okay. was our total harvest last year. Okay. So, the year before that, it was six. The year before that, it was four percent so going up going up going up going up yeah which we like to see it is uh as long as the population's going up accordingly yeah absolutely and i think a lot of it comes back to hunters have learned to be effective Mm -hmm. you know there's not many people the bear hunting here in kentucky that like cut their teeth bear hunting somewhere else this is a new thing um but it's something that where we where their tags are over the counter, you know, it's not the elk draw. They can get better at it. It's no different than exactly what you're doing. And I do feel like, I mean, obviously I still haven't harvested a bear. But from 2012 when I bought that first permit to now, I can see that I've gotten better at mm-hmm. it. Even though still haven't harvested a bear. So it's like, have you really? I mean, you're still having the same exact success you were then. But <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't see a bear 
Yeah, until you're further away from zero. Yeah, and like yeah. you know, I'm not, <laughs> not one yet. But well, you're, <laughs> you know, part of the learning curve because I'm point not, six five. Yeah. I'm not from Eastern Kentucky, so the biggest part of the learning curve early for me was learning how to hunt Eastern Kentucky. And you know, I spent the first two seasons I went down there beating around the south side of Pine Mountain. Yeah, and that was rhododendron. You're talking about your average. Heinous. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. And so I'd find an oak flat or something like that somewhere I could see more than 15 feet. And I would just hunt there. And, you know, basically I'm hoping a barrel wander through. So it kind of took me a while to figure out where the, you know, to search around. I went to Atea. I went to a couple of different WMAs and explored and found ground that was more huntable. And I think that's key is to find places that can be hunted. Yep. And then you're looking for bear sign. And, and you know, I mean, that's kind of what I've done so far. And I've, last year I saw a bear. This year I saw two bears. So I'm getting closer. And I feel like eventually I will kill a bear. And given that 10% thing, eventually, you know, the probability is going to work out in my favor. And, I'll get one, but I mean, part of the struggle for me was just figuring out how to hunt Eastern Kentucky because I never had done it before. Yep. And so for a lot of people, that's how it's going to be. I think people who are from Eastern Kentucky have a better chance of success because they know that already and they probably know where the bears are. Mm -hmm. So I'd say you probably see skewed harvest towards people in Eastern Kentucky just per capita, right? Yeah. And we got, you know, a lot of those folks are out there interested because it's another weekend. They can drive down the road and hit some public land and go hunt. So we have, we checked, um, we get those people that come in and get their bear checked that have started hunting on day one. And, you know, this last year, there was a, or this last weekend, guy from uh, down in West Kentucky had been every season since maybe 2011 mm-hmm. and finally, finally got one. It's so, fun going out there, know. even if you don't get one. Like, it's fun for mm-hmm. some some guy like me who grew up in Shelby County hunting ag land, you know. Yeah. It's fun to go hunt something different and see just different views. It's hard. Yeah, and tell me the leaf color wasn't worth Oh yeah, I just found my you know down there working last week. I just found myself staring off through the mountains. Yeah, I was spectacular colors this year. The woods were the drought helped, didn't it? I think so. It was mostly it was beech, hickory, tulip, red oak, white oak. I mean, those were the trees that dominated where I was at. It seemed like, and it was beautiful. I mean, you're talking every color you could imagine, and you know some of those hillsides are so wooded you can't really see very far. But if you do find a spot where you can see out to the next the next hillside, man, it's vast. Yeah. You know, they're saying it's kind of got that blue or gray hazy color in between you and the next hillside just mm-hmm. because it's so far away. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of moisture in there or something. But it's cool down there if, if you're not from there and you don't see it every day. Yeah. One of the cooler things I ever saw when I was hunting uh, one of the first seasons was on top of Pine Mountain, there's a fire tower. I don't know if I'm supposed to climb it or not, but I did. And so, <laughs> I mean, they don't have a gate at was all. Was it wobbly? Yeah. No, it's no, wide open. It, no, it was wide open. Unlike the one at Robinson Forest, yeah. which is the scariest one I've No, ever this done. one's got like a staircase that goes up it just like this, and you get up to the top there. And I, I did that one morning at sunrise, so I climbed up to the top of that fire tower, and I just spent like the first 15 or 20 minutes of the day just sitting there looking out. And I had no chance to see a bear because all I can see are trees, but looking out over, you're looking into Tennessee at that point maybe Virginia, and it's just like this huge, vast, booming view where you can just see rolling hill after rolling hill. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth the views if you can find somewhere like that to go down there. And then, but you know, a lot of it's heavily wooded, and you don't get those views unless you find something like a fire tower or like a, a cliff edge to, to get on where there aren't some trees below you for the, you know, for a good little distance. That's fun. What Three decent public areas just off the top of your head. Man, I've been <laughs> – I've been hitting these hard lately, but our elk properties. For bears specifically, I call them our elk properties because (laughs) it's places that we've – it's private land, coal company land that we have in a WMA agreement. 
because for every 5,000 acres, they get an elk tag. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of our public land in southeast Kentucky is that situation. So your Boone Forest lands, your Elk Forest WMA, Ataya WMA, Asher Hunting Access area. That's collectively, I want to say, I think I spitballed it about 150,000 acres. Yeah, that's a lot. You can't even think about mm-hmm. hunting you know, all that. You know what's crazy is, like, for me sitting here, I'm, you know, thinking, oh, I hope there's not too much pressure. You just said 150,000 acres, and you only named five WMAs, right? Yep. Because CTFA is like, what? It's 60. 50. It's a, yeah, 50, like 50 gigantic, something yeah. like that. you tell me you sell 1,000 bear permits it's bigger a year. than Peabody. Yep. They're in, they're in a lot of pressure. No, yeah. no, there's not. One point two million acres in that area, right? Of total in eastern Kentucky, somewhere including around. the yeah, with the Daniel Boone, yeah, which is all you know. Most of the Daniel Boone has bears on it, and it's all in the bear zone. Are you familiar with Bark Camp Creek? I'm not. It's a trout stream. I'm surprised. Yeah. you know where it is, right? Yeah. I mean, there's black bear sign all over that. Mm-hmm. It's right in the middle of Daniel Boone. Yep. Um, there's. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of places in the southern part of the Daniel Boone that would be worth bear hunting. Yeah, absolutely, but, and especially down in McCurry County. I mean, you're you're in as as thick of a bear population as is anywhere on the Daniel Boone in McCreary. Um, so and that's close to a lot of people. Bowling Green folks. I mean, you could be over there, hour and a half probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's one of those things that I've, I've hit that. I think I hit it on the fall call in show talking about those elk properties. In my opinion, they're underutilized. I mean, when we're up here. You know, uh, you know, I live just outside of Lexington, Louisville, folks. It is phenomenal property. And it's good. I've seen great deer on it. Obviously, elk hunting on it, turkey hunting, and and bear hunting. So when we were down there, like I said, we're 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 making a big push for habitat work on Boone Forest land specifically. Cutting in fire line, there was bear scat every hundred yards. Somebody run. It just became a joke that day as we were cutting our cutting our way along. Ah, there's bear scat. <laughs> so it's like it'd be a great place to be. So. Yeah. So I mean, even when I hunted a day, you know. Pine Mountain was was thick and grown up, and mm-hmm. that was tough. But when I did get on one of those elk properties, like you're talking about, a reclaimed coal mine where it does have open ground, man, it's it's beautiful up yeah. there, and you get to see a lot. Like you could, you could spot and stalk kind of bear on that property because you can see a thousand yards right. mm-hmm. in some places. You can you can look at literally. I bet you could sit in one spot on CTA, and you can see more ground at that given time than I saw this whole past weekend walking 30 miles through the woods because I'm seeing mm-hmm. 100 yards max in either direction, you know, and it takes a lot of 100-yard walking, uh, you know, a lot of being able to see 100 yards, mm-hmm. a lot of walking that to be able to cover basically with a couple, a square mile or so. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's fun. You can jump around and, you know, <laughs> access is one thing. I think our WMA descriptions online do a pretty good job telling you what access is going to be like, but I would always expect to probably – hoof it a little bit mm-hmm. if you're going down there are there any spots say somebody's more mobility impaired not i'm not saying it is mobility impaired but somebody who maybe isn't physically capable of walking five to ten miles a day yeah a lot of those places have i mean they let you um they allow you where the old coal hall roads are they obviously went to the top it at least let you get up to the top mm-hmm. if you look at a topo map or something you can find a hundred different ridges where you're not you're not dropping 800 feet into the creek you're just slowly going down mm-hmm. long you know usually what is a long oak ridge it's a good place yeah. to start so mm-hmm. uh boone forest lands elk forest have a have a nice it's a i don't know how to i've got a skewed view on what a rough road is given my working mm-hmm. career down there but yeah. it's it's drivable you won't tear your truck up you can you can get up that main road and pick you pick your ridge so a lot of country to cover down there what do you else you got leah we're we've been going for a bit here so i don't mm-hmm. want to hold john up all day nope. um 
That was, let me see. Oh, best versus, versus, that's right. And explain the changes in regs. I think that's very important. And, and yeah. maybe remind people, they really need to read their bear, the bear section of the hunting guide this year because it's, yep. it's a whole new world. If Correct? Yeah, if you're, if you're planning on hunting in December, our online hunting guide is updated with all the fresh regs. Mm-hmm. That would be the place to go. The couple, the, the, the really basically um, the December season opens on December 10th. Let me make sure I'm not going crazy because I've looked at season dates. Opens December 10th. So in zone one, which is McCreary, Bell, Harlan, and Letcher, it is open from the 10th to the 12th. So that's a three-day gun hunting season. Guaranteed won't won't shut down because of quota. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. In zone two, which is all of the other counties that have always been in the bear zone, we've got a great map in the hunting guide. It's the 10th through the 14th. So that's a five-day season. Um, And don't feel like you got to be in zone one if you want to take off five days you can jump into perry county all that property i was just talking about a good portion of that's in leslie county which is zone two you can find places that are just as good as any of those zone one counties um so that's the that's the big change kind of a couple of other changes that are of interest i have taken probably a hundred calls in my my time covering bears about why can't i use my six five creedmoor to bear hunt so we we had essentially adopted the elk regs, which is a minimum 270 caliber bullet. So we bumped the minimum caliber down, down to a 6.5. So as long as that bullet measures 6.5 millimeter, that's 264 caliber, you're good to go. So 6.5 Creedmoor is pretty much, you know, there's not many other. 264 Remington mm-hmm. uh, would be another caliber that hits that. So 264 Remington and uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, the bottom ends, and then you're looking at 270, 308, 284, yep. 30-odd six, any Magnum caliber over 6.5 millimeters, so your 7 millimeters are fine. Mm-hmm. So yep. pretty much any, I mean, what's a caliber? 25-odd six would not be legal. Uh, 243 would not be legal. So that's kind of the definition right there, yep. right, is – your 25 out 6, 243 is too small, 6.5, 264, and 270 are big enough, and anything, you know, yeah. just go Any of your 30 cows. Man, I've, so I'm not, I, I, I've, had, I've got two rifles. I've got a 300 blackout, and I've got a 7-millimeter Remington Magnum. I think if I was hunting where Chase was take, hunting, I'd take my 300 blackout just because it's easy to pack. If I was in a more open area, I'd take that 7-millimeter. In my experience, pretty much everybody is overgunned. Yeah, for bears like uh, shoot a three hundred eight. Any three hundred eight is perfect. Yeah. Any anything that you're taking, you know, that meets the minimum caliber that you're deer hunting with, with your same deer bullets, will take a four hundred pound bear all day long. Yeah. No problem. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're, I mean, they're actually considered a thin skin game. Hmm. Um, you put it in behind the shoulder, you're good to go with 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 any of that. So a little different than elk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought about it. I think uh, you know any of your standard deer calibers would be great. Yeah. I thought two seventy, thirty out six, three hundred eight, thirty yep. thirty. I mean, because I'll be honest with you, most of these places out there, if you're on one of the elk properties, you could find yourself taking a longer shot. Mm-hmm. But I don't think my shot's going to be any more than a hundred and twenty-five yards. Right. You yep. know, so I could. My favorite gun I've ever taken bear hunting was a borrowed. 308 it was a featherweight total weight with a scope was 7.5 pounds it had a 20 inch barrel and that thing was a dream that's perfect you know i'd go light cover some ground Mm -hmm. easy packing yeah last year i made the mistake of i 
308 I have for deer hunting around here, I'm hunting ag field. So I got a 308 set up. You know, I'm only walking quarter mile, plopping down, and I'm ready to take a quarter mile shot. Yep. I had I, for some reason I packed a rifle with a bipod on it, with a you know recoil pad that I only use for length of pull reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a cheek piece and stuff like this. And that was one of the biggest mistakes. So this year that rifle is going naked just as naked as can be yeah no extra yep. ammo i'm probably taking four rounds of fit in the magazine and that's about it so. yep and that'll that'll cover you we've seen i've seen some i've seen some of the biggest rifles i've ever put my hands on while checking checking, checking bear hunters you know well you know i think there's a con- misconception probably that you know that there bears, is if i don't yep. you know the bear's gonna kill me if i don't shoot you know mm. knock it down yeah wow. and that's another thing people ask like when my girlfriend's mom she was like oh he's bear hunting by himself isn't that dangerous and i, I mean bears are pretty dang afraid of people right yeah, i mean absolutely chances of a bear i think what are what are the stats on bear attacks in kentucky the one in 2008 or something like that yeah, we've, had, that we've had one recorded 2010 was gorge. that the one in the gorge when he was in a wild blueberry, blueberry patch it was in a wild blue it was just a situation on a knife edge ridge in a wild blueberry patch and just just and he had you snacks know. in the backpack, correct? Something like that. I don't think it was that. It's probably the ridge. And I've been on that yeah, same. tiny little ridge. It was a ridge above Nata Tunnel. It's mm-hmm. near Augsburg Ridge. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I went to Augsburg Ridge this past fall and picked blueberries myself, filled up four big mason jars. And that took hours. So yep. I can only imagine for a bear. I mean, I sat there and I picked blueberries until my legs were weak from kneeling down, you know. I can only imagine for a bear trying to fill his stomach with berries. Yep. But there's a lot of berries up there in those ridges on the gorge. But it was, for somebody who's fairly familiar with the gorge, it was above the Nata Tunnel, mm-hmm. was it not? Yep. Mm-hmm. Up there in that area. And that uh, the area above Nata Tunnel is actually very close to Augsburg Ridge. So it was one of those offshoots off of the Augsburg Ridge type trailhead, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yep. Yep. Lots of berries in that Rick area. used to have property up near Nata Tunnel hmm. back in the day. Oh, it's a cool spot, but I don't really have much else for you, John. I appreciate you giving us a, what's an hour and ten minutes of your time already, so no, I appreciate no, that. No Thank problem. you, man. Happy to do it. We did break you out of that back room there, though. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I know what you've been talking about. <laughs> oh, I do have one more question. Yeah. What is the most interesting thing about bears, in your opinion? What's something we haven't talked about? Or just something interesting we have talked about? thing just. about bears. I, well, we've we've talked about it. It's it, it's just their, you know, we talked about it with cub sex ratio, their ability to detect their their saturation in mm-hmm. the environment. I mean, as a biologist, you spend a lot of time thinking about carrying capacity, or the the flip side of that is social carrying capacity mm-hmm. in terms of how many you know how many bears the folks in Harlan County want to deal with. Uh, but that social carry social carrying capacity. I mean, people learn that. You know, you learn some ideas of that in like fifth grade science, and it's just mm-hmm. always there. And especially as a wildlife biologist, it's always there. And you know, we talked about other animals being able to deal with that. You know, deer can't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're gonna keep reproducing as they can until the, they starve out. Mm-hmm. You know, and eat the. You know, you're seeing browse lines and mm-hmm. all that stuff, and bears just have that natural ability to do gotta, that. Well, um, I gotta get get going. Yeah, and so that's always fascinated me. Kind of helps you uh, out as a biologist, too. Helps us out, yeah. It gives yeah. us a way to measure that. Not just that, amazing. but you have an animal that's kind of self-regulating itself in yeah. a way that, you know, is kind of part of our job as a department or something we try to do is, you know, regulate these populations mm-hmm. and the population levels. Well, heck, you got an animal that's kind of, oh, well, you know, making that adjustment for you yeah. a little bit. And just, spreading themselves out appropriately yeah, is cool. the best way I can say it. So, you know, they're smart. The ones, you know, I spent years chasing chasing bad bears. And man, they'd figure they'd they'd have you timed, 
Mm-hmm. They know your truck. They know the sound of your truck as it came up the hill three miles away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, That's so funny. just figuring some of that stuff out. They they they've definitely got a lot going on in there, and uh, you know, just in terms of being intelligent. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. All right, John. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Lee, for coming by. No problem. Next time we'll talk. Uh, I'm thinking maybe some deer. Next time. Well, well next, it's about deer time. Next podcast will be right ahead of. Uh, I mean, it is deer time, but for a lot of people, deer I tell time's you, I've, I've seen a real. I don't want my trail cameras and what we've seen while out filming for the show. It has been slow these past few days. I don't know. You're why. Yeah. I don't know. But that's just what we're seeing. So that's not necessarily. Would drought play a role in that? No, I, I don't know. It's not representative of the whole state, I'm sure, but, you know just the one localized small spot i'm not going to make an assumption for everybody everywhere because it was this yesterday a year ago that i've killed one of my best bucks ever you know so i don't really know what's going on could be the food sources you know i had green soybeans up until a week ago and they've all dried out and leaves Mm. have fallen off so could Mm. have something to do with it but deer hunting's been slow for us but we'll come back with another podcast probably deer related ahead of modern firearm season all right all right thanks guys you do Mm -hmm.